Hello, sports fans. This is Sellout Sports. I am Tori Rich, broadcasting from Michael Mawson's apartment in beautiful Bennington, Vermont. Notably not here is Michael Mawson because he is on vacation down in Nashville, uh, shaking hands and kissing babies and handing out the business cards that we don't have yet. Uh, but we're going national so because we are a national podcast. That being said, I have a couple of special guests here with us filling in for Mawson. We have guest hosts, so, and uh, because we do believe in nepotism here, we have my little brother, Jacob Rich. He is the, a catcher, outfielder, designated hitter for the Bridgeport Knights Division II Baseball, and his battery mate, Tim Dolan, right-handed pitcher for the Knights. Um, so yeah, uh, Jake is the, uh, yeah, he's the uh, son that our father actually loves and is proud of, and uh, he, uh, you know, he has a deeper understanding of baseball than I do. So I was like, he's got to, you know, I got to bring him on. And uh, yeah, so we got Tim from New York. So we've got the, uh, sorry, what town in New York, Tim? Uh, Massapequa. Massapequa, New York. All right. So, so we got New York in the house. We have these, these guys are coming to us from the library in Connecticut, which I'm sure they spend plenty of time at. They, I'm, I'm sure it didn't take them an extra 15 minutes to get a library card and get signed up so that they could, uh, so they could reserve a room there. Oh, not yours though. You're you studying hard, Jake? No, as an RA, I had to come here. Oh, okay, okay. Only, only, uh, only within within the duties of your residential advisor. Okay. Um, <laughs> Jake, what are you even majoring in? I forget. Is it like I'm a horrible brother? What are you majoring in? Wow. Um, so I'm in. Majoring in sports management. Um, I was originally criminal justice, but I actually did know that. Want to stick with sports? All right, sports management. Tim, what are you majoring in? Uh, business administration. Business administration. All right, all right, and that's okay because you guys are probably both change your minds again. Well, it's too late for Jake because Jake's a you're a super senior now, and but 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 Jake Jake has time to change his mind if, or, or Tim has time to change his mind if he wants to. So uh. So guys, so you know Bridgeport, you know you guys had a had a tough year last year, um, but you know obviously every year is a new year. So like you know, I, I brought you guys on because I wanted to talk about you know I wanted to talk college baseball. I wanted to talk you know the, um, you know just like the the culture of college sports right now. So that's part of the reason that I brought you guys on. So um, you know welcome to the show. Thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for filling in for Moss and Willie goes down and listens to shitty country music all week. Thank you for having us on. Um, I'm excited to bullshit some sports with you like we always do and show everyone how crazy your takes are. And <laughs> Yeah, um, college sports has been, I think one of the crazy things about college sports is it's just not what you expect when you're in high school. And um, high school sports and coaches do their best to get you ready for it, but the grind is just different. The commitment is different and you're an adult. So there's no one there holding your hand to do things. And yeah, it's what you put into it. And over the last five years, um, there's been a lot of ups and downs. But regardless of that, one of the things I love about baseball and the culture we have here is we're a family. Through the ups and downs, we're going to support each other, have a good time, and just continue to try to keep getting better. And I've never had a team slash family environment like that until I got to Bridgeport. Um, the first year I was here, COVID struck. and. I don't think I'd ever been a part of a team that was that close. And 
during COVID, we all stayed together. We're all pushing each other, trying to get better through the pandemic. And yeah, a couple of years later, Tim ends up coming to UB. And it's cool to see how the culture changed and how the work ethic changed after everybody was gone from COVID, all the transfers. And yeah, here's Tim. Yeah, no, definitely. I think college sports is something in high school, like, like Rich said, they, your coaches will try to prepare you the best, but it's just like, it's a different animal when you get here. Like, I think everyone really misses out on, like, all the, like, the hard work, dedication, grind, like, extra time spent that goes into, like, the whole the whole thing, you know? Like, we're getting up at 6 in the morning to go lift weights, and then four hours from then, we're at practice. And after practice, you know, guys are getting extra swings, we're running. You know, so I think I think a lot of people overlook that sometimes, especially when you talk about the D2 level. Because everyone's just uh, D1. Uh, everyone wants to play D1, you know, D1 grind. But I, I even at the, like, D2 level, like, a lot goes into this that I think people overlook. I, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, like, you know, with all these NIL deals and everything, like, you guys have kind of become the new, you know, D1 baseball in a way because, like, cause it's, it's still the – it's you know they're almost treating it more like professional for a lot of a lot of college sports now right at the D1 level like the levels that we you know get a lot of exposure but for you guys it's still i guess it's still like amateur baseball right so um hopefully you guys don't take that you know take any offense to that but you know what i mean like like it's almost like D2 is going to become the new D1 in a lot of ways i would say like do you think that's probably you know is that an accurate way to characterize it it's it's not a bad characterization um we hear all the time about how crazy the transfer portal is right now, and Division One is definitely, with the new NIL rules, it's becoming a lot like pro sports. People, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars are being thrown around across all the sports. Um, and, yeah, you could argue that Division Two is starting to look similar to Division One in the sense that we don't have all these deals flying around. All we have is scholarships and school money that can be added as well. That's one benefit to D2. And, yeah, it's almost like D1 is now the new pro or, like, semi-pro, and now the pro levels are just whoever makes it through. Yeah, well, careful careful saying semi-pro because I played semi-pro football, and that's more like beer league football. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so, uh, Tim, I didn't even realize. So, like, was, was your senior year of high school, was that the COVID year? Uh, no, so my junior year was COVID year, um, and then my senior year, it was it was cut short. We only had, like, 16 games, but uh, we were able to play a little bit of our season. You know, usually our high school, we have, you know, I'm not trying to brag or boast, but our high school program is one of the top-notch programs in New York State. No, man, but by all means, please self-promote. That's that's what that's what podcasts are for. I mean, they do a great job down there in Massapequa. Just, like, the products came out of there. This year, we had a third-round pick. Drafted and uh, oh, no kidding. Who was that? Travis Honeyman, he was taken by the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. He played outfield at uh, Boston College. Wow, and then, yeah, our left side of the infield, my, my junior year would have been stacked. We had a uh, kick on to UNC, kick on to Boston College, our center fielder was going to uh, Coastal Carolina, our catcher was going to Georgia Southern. So, yeah, we, we would have been a powerhouse for sure again, but yeah, back to the uh, whole COVID thing that really got cut us short because. We usually used to take, we take trips to uh, Florida every year and we play a tournament down there, and that was completely washed. We usually go to Cooperstown and play a tournament there, that was washed, and uh, there was no state championship that year, so we made it to the Long Island Championship. It was the furthest we could go. We wound up dropping that game, but yeah, we had we had a really good team, uh, a lot of fun there. 
but they do a great job there. Oh, man. But, well, yeah. That, that. How was it for the seniors in high school that year when COVID was going on and everything got canceled? Um, like the seniors my junior year? Yeah, like in high school. Um, so, yeah, that season I got wiped because of COVID. I remember um, we were doing, it was like doing tryouts. I remember being at the field. Um, we actually had a couple. We had like the New York Mets scout come down. He was checking some guys out down there. But, uh, yeah, I just remember, like, the whole vibe was different. Like, it wasn't – it was more about, like, all right, like, they kind of had a feeling this wasn't going to, like, you know, take off, take off the ground. So we wind up – it was more just, like, like have fun with the guys that are here still, let them enjoy, you know, what might be their last couple times on the field. But, yeah, very sad to see, man. I, I would have loved to play with some of those guys and just got that experience, like, because they're – you had some dogs. Yeah, it was, it was a bizarre situation. I mean, I was a teacher during it, actually, during COVID, and – just what it did to you kids it, like it it sucked man I, I i mean just the high school experience never mind the sports experience but then you, yeah you're talking about like yeah you you know you kind of get robbed of your you know get, getting to go play at cooperstown are you kidding me and you don't get to do that you don't yeah. you know it, I, so i imagine it was because it was travel restrictions you couldn't travel out of new york is that basically what the deal was yeah awesome to get down there with everyone you know share a hotel with some of my lifelong friends you know i grew up with but yeah that whole the whole COVID thing wiped that for us, so I wasn't able to experience that, but we still made the most of what we had, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's all you can do, right? And, I mean, now at least we're coming through it, but, yeah, it's weird, man. I mean, it must have, you know, it's I'm sure it screwed up recruiting and everything like that, so all these, you know, scouts trying to travel to, to, to watch, you know, those that senior class, all those things. I mean, it's, it's crazy, the, the logistics and how we're just kind of, it seems like we're just kind of recovering from it, but then, you know, like the like one of the things that I say like with college football is uh you know obviously I follow college football a little bit more but the it seems like the talent is spread around a little bit more and I think that's because of the NIL deals and everything like that but yeah so let's let's get into college football though because this is a wild weekend um last week was kind of a you know kind of a lackluster slate uh ended up with like you know we ended up with upsets we ended up with close games Florida State BC um but this week we got Sixth ranked versus ranked games, which uh, like I don't know how often that happens, but it's pretty wild. Um, UCLA at Utah. Uh, all I'm going to say about that one is it looks like I mean, well, well Jake will know. Uh, you know, I don't think either one of us are Chip Kelly fans after because we because we grew up Eagles fans. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that one's great offense versus great defense. But with Utah being at home, that's a tough place to play. I think Utah Utah is going to dominate that game. Um, 14 Oregon State at 21 Washington State. Uh, at least these games are starting a little bit earlier instead of, uh, you know, the a lot of these Pac-12 games. They start them at like 10 o'clock Eastern time. At least that one's starting earlier. Um, I don't really have much to add about that one. But Iowa at Penn State. Um, Penn State actually struggled with Illinois a little bit last week. So I kind of – but that, that being said, coming into Penn State, I don't know. Um, Penn State's going to win it, but I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people think. Here's the one that I want to talk about. Ohio State at Notre Dame. I feel like Ohio State's been disrespected all year. Um, they, they keep getting bumped down the rankings because they win a close game, a, a close conference game at Indiana in, in a game in which Indiana just tried to run out the clock the entire game. Indiana wasn't even trying to win the game. They just wanted to lose by not much, basically, was their approach. And it worked out, what was it, 23-3, I think, was the score. And everybody's worried because Marvin Harrison Jr.'s only got two catches for 18 yards. Like the, I think Ohio State only ran like 
20 plays in the first half. Um, so anyway, um, I think Ohio State's got this game. Uh, I think Notre Dame's a little overrated. Sam Hartman, I haven't really seen much from him yet. They struggled with NC State um, for the whole first quarter in a game that was delayed by the uh, a thunderstorm. Then Notre Dame came out and ran over them, a, a team that they should be you know, vastly superior then. So the only thing, the only question is, can Notre Dame's running game, I think, I think that's going to be the difference in the game, but I think Ohio State's going to stop them. But yeah, you got, you guys, your thoughts? Yeah, to start, um, I'm definitely rooting for Utah tonight because Tip Kelly crushed my 13 and 14 year old dreams. And yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with Notre Dame tonight just to go against you. And I think they're going to be able to run the ball. Um, Plus, I do not like Ohio State, so I'm going to go with Notre Dame. No, you're, you're going Notre Dame. So, uh, hang on. Uh, all right, well, you were, you were talking uh, – so this is funny. This is one of those age difference things. Um, so, I was talking to you guys before the show. But uh, – so, Tim, you said, you said uh, uh, Marvin Harrison. You, so, you guys aren't familiar with his dad? Yeah, no, I think, I think that was a little bit before uh, I really started getting into football, but – this is this is uh no it's it's funny for me because this is making uh this is making me feel really old which happens more and more lately obviously but yeah Marvin Harrison's one of the he's probably a top ten receiver all time um and he played and he played with Peyton Manning for for most of Peyton Manning's career and so it's so it's funny it's just so for those for those of you listening um Jake, Jake is twenty two Tim what are you twenty twenty one. 20 all right so 22 and 20 and uh here i am 37 years old and 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 uh talking about the old school guys it's like it's like listening to my dad talk about franco harris or something like terry bradshaw was the greatest quarterback ever not well yeah yeah our father wouldn't have said that because he was a raiders fan but yeah anyway um all right so uh so anyway, yeah, Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. Though I, I think he's going to have a big game. I, I just I think Ryan Day's one of the best coaches in, in college football. Ohio State, be, you know, only beating quote unquote only beating Youngstown State thirty five to seven. Somehow that gets them bumped down the rankings. Now that now they're number six when they started the season at number three. I think it's crazy. Um, but anyway, so uh, I do like Audric Estime on Notre Dame though. Obviously, I like a physical running game. The Notre Dame has two tackles that might be first round picks. Uh, uh, Joe Alt's definitely going to be a first round pick, and uh, yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what we'll see what happens there. I just um, if Notre Dame doesn't ask Sam Hartman to do too much, then yeah, maybe maybe they end up winning this game. We'll see. So I wanted to talk to you guys about this game though. Uh, Ole Miss. So fifteen Ole Miss at thirteen Alabama. Ole Miss. Ole Miss has come in and uh, and beaten Alabama before. And it, uh, Alabama has, you know, some some uh, some struggles at the quarterback position. They've gone back to their original starter, Jalen Milero, after uh, after some debate. <laughs> it was kind of crazy against South Florida last week. They were playing around with so- South Florida, three three game for a lot of it um, with Buckner, their backup at quarterback. Then they go to the third stringer, whose name uh, escapes me at the moment. But yeah, so now they're going back. To, uh, you know, Alabama ends up winning seventeen to three, but they. They uh, they don't have stability at the quarterback position, and yeah, a lot of teams do the two quarterback thing. And I'm not really a fan of it in most cases. Obviously, it's case by case basis. But yeah, what do you guys think? I mean, Nick, you know, Nick Saban, Alabama is the is the is the reign of terror over? 
I think this is obviously like a make-or-break game for Alabama. Last week against South Florida, they weren't that impressive. Like you said, they're, they're kind of cycling through their quarterbacks. Um, as a saying, this isn't the Alabama football we're used to. And I think, like you're saying, this might be the this might be the decline of Alabama football. And is that because of NIL? I don't know. They couldn't get the recruits they wanted, but it's not usual when an Alabama team has no identity at quarterback. Yeah, at least not um, not for the last ten years or so. I mean, look at the guys. You know, you got three three studs in the NFL right now. Um, early, I guess at least like the last five or six years. But yeah, you've got Hertz, you got Tua, you got Mac Jones. Um, and it, you know, you, now they don't have anybody that you would say is a, is a, is a top tier NFL prospect or anything like that. And Milrow right now, he's just, you know, if, if he's not a runner for the most part, given the, t- the talent that's around him, if he's, if he's not, if he's not getting it done as a passer, you know, that it really, that's just like Alabama needs him to be better, you know, from the pocket. Um, but honestly, right now, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't play man coverage against, uh, against Milrow at all right now I you know like like if he can't beat you with his feet like I don't think generally he can beat you and so and I'll be interested to see how Ole Miss plays it um but yeah I, I think that's an interesting point and I want to get that's I wanted to talk Alabama with you guys because we're going to talk Colorado in a second and it's like the it's funny that these guys do a commercial together because I don't feel like you could get more polar opposite than Nick Saban and Deion Sanders right now right um, and so like as college athletes, like, how do you guys feel about, like, do you think, I, I think everybody's going to answer yes. Would you rather play for Dion than Nick Saban? But that being said, do you, do you guys think that that's actually like a, part of what's impacting it? Do you, you know, you know, I guess we'll get some answers about Colorado tonight as they play their first, you know, you know, they already played TCU a big time opponent, but you know, obviously it's another big test for Colorado. So yeah. What are you guys thoughts on that? Like the, the the comparison of Saban and, and Dion. I think when you like start talking about that, uh, I think it's it goes for all sports, honestly, but I think like Saban's more, you got like more of an old school kind of coaching style, which some guys like. And I think with Dion, you got a guy that's just coming in, like, you know, first year he's hungry. He's going to push his guys. He wants to build the program his way. He wants to do it his way. Um, Saban's been doing his thing in Alabama for, for years now, but I think I think the game is kind of evolving, like like a little bit with all like new technology and stuff. And I think having like a, a newer coach like Dion, who I feel Dion's more like new cultured, and I feel like the old culture, uh, like old culture that uh, Nick Saban's used to, is kind of becoming a thing in the past and like in sports. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It, you know, I I kind of already brought this up, but the the D1, D2, I feel like Nick Saban's style, um, it's almost like Belichick in the NFL. Belichick and Saban are, are, are very comparable, I think, in their in their coaching styles, how they handle the media, all those things, right? And I kind of wonder if D1 is going to have to be, you, you know, if, is Dion completely changing the game? You know, is he completely changing how recruiting is going to go? And, you know, they, they used to say, like, because Saban came up and he coached in the pros, right? And then everybody was like, nah, he's a college coach like because he needs to be the dictator and, and run the whole system and basically be a control freak. And, and some coaches coach that way and are successful that way if they, if they work hard enough at it. Um, but now, I guess, 
working with working with players like you guys, you know, you know, that are your age, right? Um, it seems like almost anybody in D one is going to want to play for the Dion type. Now that being said, you know, Dion Sanders don't grow on trees either, right? So I I don't know if you're you're going to be able to find that, but like you guys have probably played for coaches that, you know, all they do is be a hard ass and all they do is 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 beat you down, right? And and you, like you guys could probably speak to this. I remember you know playing for coaches like that. And eventually you just tune them out. Right. And I think that that I think that that could be what's happening with Saban. I, I don't know. I wonder. So I don't What do you guys think about that? I mean, I think one great point you made um, was that Deion Sanders doesn't grow on a tree. And absolutely what he's doing in college football, his influence is probably going to be felt for the rest of the history of college football. But at the end of the day, is every program going to be able to have a head figure like Deion Sanders? No, not even close. So I feel like a lot of guys are going to try and I feel like it's not going to go well. You know what I mean? Like Exactly, exactly, exactly. Because Deion's so authentic. That's who he is. It's him to a core. I think you just nailed it. Yeah, authenticity. Yes, sir. And I think on the other side of the coin, it's the exact same thing. That's who Nick Saban is. And I think Tim made a great point. It really depends on the type of player you are. I personally, I don't know if I would do well in a Colorado program. I wasn't ever a flashy player. I never got the showboat. I mean, we both had the same dad, so you know how he felt about that. And I kind of love those hard-nosed coaches that are old school and like to get on the line. And you're gonna, we're gonna take all 110 percent out of you every practice and things like that. Not that Dion doesn't do that, but I like those hard-nosed old coaches. But at the same time, the thought of playing for Dion Sanders sounds like an absolute dream, but. At the end of the day, he has his roster. There's one Deion Sanders. So imagine being a player stuck between those two coaches, and especially in football. I mean, I played baseball in high school. I can't imagine going being a top prospect in college football and having to pick between one of the most historic all-time coaches and then Deion Sanders, who's this new awesome thing. Like, it's got to be – it's quite a predicament to ask that. Yeah. And I mean, I think you bring up a good point. I don't know. Maybe it's the way we were both raised, you know? So like, again, everybody listening, Jake's my brother from another mother, but we were both raised in sports by our dad. And, and he was, he was a hard ass about things. And maybe, maybe you seek that out in your coaches too. I don't know. Cause like, I think the best example and Jake, you met him, my MMA coach out in Vegas or one of my MMA coaches, but I, I gravitated towards the people that would criticize me. I actually, I tend to do that in journalism too. Now that I realize it, because I want somebody that's going to make me better. Experience with him. Um, I had never thrown a punch in my life, so I tried to, and he was not impressed to say the least. <laughs> and that's the thing is, yeah. So Heath Heath is kind of a, uh, he's an asshole, but he's a well-meaning asshole. And I, I think I'm kind of the same as a coach too. And the thing is, is that could be Saban, and it, it takes it takes a guy your age with some self awareness to realize that like a Nick Saban might be what's best for you. Because if like let's say you're being recruited by Nick Saban, and your parents tell you like, yeah, he's what's going to be best for you, you're not going to fucking listen. You know what I mean? Like like at that age, like you like if somebody could get somebody that's nineteen, you know, eighteen, nineteen years old to to listen to the voice, you know, the older voice of reason. You know, if they could figure out a way, they'd make a lot of money. But the thing is, is like, it's really, it's really hard. You know what I mean? I remember when I was 18, 19, I didn't, I didn't listen to shit. You know what I mean? So, um, it's just interesting. Like, are people going to realize that 
A, yeah, Dion's don't grow on trees and not everybody can do what he's doing and do it authentically. And then are people going to realize that like, no, Nick Saban, you know, or the Nick Sabans of the world might still be what's best for your kid. And are those kids going to realize that? Because ultimately it's their decision. So it's just, you know, it's an interesting, you know, how much is the game actually changing? And again, we're going to get a taste of it tonight. You know, um, are people, you know, is Ole Miss going to win and people overreact to that? Because it could just be a down year for Alabama. We know how important quarterback is. Maybe they just don't have the guy under center and maybe they'll get another one next year. Um, and then Colorado, Colorado could get boast, boat raced by Oregon tonight, you know, and then that doesn't mean that what Dion's doing isn't working. It was just like, I mean, Mawson and I have talked about this since the beginning. They just still have issues on the offensive and defensive line. So getting into Colorado a little bit though, um, I love what they're doing. I love, you know, obviously I'm an offensive defensive line guy and I watch I, especially their offensive line, I watch and it drives me nuts. I feel like they're very lazy on the offensive line. They, they need to, you know, they need to put some time into that, and that that might just not be Dion's wheelhouse. Obviously, he's going to be more with the skill position players. He's going to be more with the defensive players. Um, he's trying to bring in. Uh, it, actually, I don't know if this is true. So Warren Sapp said it on the Rich Eisen show, and it's funny because I haven't heard anything about it from Dion yet. But Warren Warren Sapp says he's going to go be the D line coach next year. I don't know if Dion's actually signed off on it. It's funny that Warren Sapp is saying that. I don't know if he's just self promoting, but yeah, um, you know, I, I loved this week. Both Travis Hunter, you know, their star uh, two way player, receiver, and corner. So he gets taken out by, you know, I think everybody would agree, even a hard ass like me would agree, it was a dirty hit by Henry Blackburn of Colorado State. And then he comes out and he says, nah, man, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. Whether Travis Hunter believes that or not, whether he's pissed or not, he just said, he just said, nope, he's doing his job. He's playing football, right? And uh, I thought that was a classy move, obviously. Um, and it's smart because it's just because I think they just want to focus on Oregon. They don't want to talk about Colorado State anymore. And I think that's messaging from Dion. Um, and and Dion, he just said like, he said, "Hey, just let's just forgive him." And I and I, I think that that's that's lost on so many people. Like football is a rough game. It's an emotional game. Yes, Blackburn did something wrong. Like he 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 shouldn't have done it. But. Anybody that's played football understands that it happens. You know what I mean? And, and, and yeah, should there be consequences? Absolutely. I, I think Blackburn should be suspended a game for it because I think it was targeting. Um, but anyway, I'm going to shut up, and I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that, on like how Dion and Travis Hunter handled that. I thought um, one thing I'd like to say, I think the way Dion handled it, I didn't even think about the point you said, is getting his team to send out the message that they don't even care about that past game. They're, they're on to Oregon. That hits over with the, the player made a mistake but um what i was trying to say is i think overall dion's just trying to make the game of college football better and i think you would see a lot of people in the media go to defend their star player that star player go to have his own back and kind of throw that guy under the bus and they both took the higher road they kind of had the opposing players back made a mistake that put hunter in the hospital i mean that's not really a small deal but I guess the humility and yeah, I, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. They did what was best for the game. They responded to it the best possible way for the game. And I really like that. I do, I do too. And it's kind of, it's kind of made it go away, uh, which is, which is what I want because uh, frankly, you know, Jake, you already know my feelings about this. Like people have just gotten too soft and it's like, you know, whatever people are going to say, like 
you know, like, oh, it's to- toxic masculinity and all this. Like, like, shut the fuck up. Whatever. Like, like, yeah, toxic masculinity does exist, but like, not all masculinity is toxic masculinity. And guess what? Like, you need, you need a little bit of. Uh, I mean, this is why we have violent sports is so violent people can go have an outlet for it instead of you know go do it out in society. Whatever. I could write a whole paper about that. I'm not going to get into that. But that being said, you see this softness that's been called out other places. So. Sliding over to the NFL for a second. So Nick Chubb, horrible, you know, catastrophic knee injury so bad that they didn't want to show the replays, understandably. Um, on the same knee that he injured horribly at Georgia, uh, I can't remember how many years ago. Probably, uh, he's probably like six or seven years ago now. Um, but, yeah, on the same left knee. And people are – so he t- Minka Fitzpatrick, safety for the Steelers, makes a tackle. He goes low on Nick Chubb, who is one of the best – power runners in the game like there was nothing else for him to do but go low on Nick Chubb otherwise he's going to get he's going for a ride into the end zone and it's 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 so stupid to me that people are calling that a dirty hit it's people that obviously haven't played and don't understand the game and it's really frustrating to me but yeah so Jake you had a thought on that or was that Tim sorry 100 percent um I think his explanation of it was perfect as a player um he didn't accountability off of himself he kind of took and he said when you make a play in the national football league you don't have seconds and minutes and replays to think about it you have milliseconds to make a decision and because of their elite athleticism they can respond in time to do that he had to go low it's nick chubb it's his only option he did it and it just unfortunately someone got on his back i believe and his knee went and um it kind of reminds me of when Patriot fans were really salty about the hits that were happening on Gronk, and no doubt those hits on Gronk, some of them were absolutely dirty, but Gronk is this monster of an athlete. There's nothing else you can do as a defender. He's not going to give up and let the players score. His job is to do whatever it takes for his team to stop the ball carrier. So it- He did it in the safest way. He didn't drill the guy in the helmet. He, it's not like he meant to destroy his knee. He tackled a bigger runner than him. That's, he did his job. Yeah, I mean, it. Um, you bring up a good point. Gronk is a good example, actually, with the people saying it was, a, you know, these were dirty hits because they're going low on Gronk and everything. And it's like, I I can't remember any anyone that I thought was specifically dirty. The thing is, is like, and I used to tell this to the kids when I coached football all the time, is like, you're not, you don't play to injure anybody, but you do play to hurt the other guy. And there's a big difference, right? I mean, it, you know, it's just like it's just like the difference between like like are you hurt or are you injured, right? It's like no, if you're playing football, you're trying to hurt the other guy. You're trying to make him not want to play against you. And I don't think a lot of football fans understand that. Like, I like uh, I've talked with Mawson about like you know Colorado, like Jesus, hand the ball off a little bit more because the running game is like body blows in a fight. You know what I mean? It it, it wears it wears them out, and. Like, you know, uh, we'll get into the Giants and 49ers game a little bit later, but, like, just, you know, running at, um, at Kayvon Thibodeau and, and, and running at the Giants' defense, th- that was an evenly matched game for a lot of the game. And it was the 49ers' running game that wore down the Giants' defense. So, um, and my, my point being is, like, yeah, like, the running game, like, that hurts guys, and it wears them down. It Like, it wears down – there's nothing wrong with trying to, to beat up a guy's soft tissue, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, beat up a guy's muscles, make him sore, make him tired. So, there's nothing wrong with trying to drill a running back in the thigh. 
Now, if you try to put your like, and yeah, obviously sometimes that goes wrong because you don't know exactly how that how the guy is going to move, and you know, so and, and maybe you end up diving through his knee, and somebody's on his back like it was with Nick Chubb. But I just I think people need to take a step back because it's a because football's a job, you know, in the pros it's a job, and if you haven't done that job, just like just like any job, you know, people people criticize journalists all the time. Not to cry for myself, right? But people criticize journalism all the time too. And you like, you don't know what, like all the elements that go into that job. And this is any job. I'm just using mine as an example, but people have, people always have something to say about what's in the paper and why don't you put any good news in the paper? It's like, like, well, why don't you send us a story, you know? So, um, yeah. So I, I just think the criticism is stupid. Fortunately, Ryan Clark, former safety for the Steelers came out in defense of Minka Fitzpatrick and also just <laughs> came out and he just said he's saddened by how, and I, I liked the way that he said it because that's how I feel. Like, it literally fucks with my mental health how soft the people are about the game. There's so many casual fans, and I don't want to be a dick about it. You know, if you're a casual fan and you don't know much about football, I would love to educate you. That was like, that's like the spirit of John Madden, right? And I wa- so I would love to teach you about football. But you have to, A, be willing to listen, and B, don't come in when you don't know shit about football and try to change it. So... And, and um, we're going to get into this a little bit when we talk about, you know, baseball changing later, too. But like so, you know, because I kind of sympathize with, you know, the the changes to baseball and, and people, you know, the people that don't like it. Um, but, yeah. So let, we'll get into that a little bit later. But I just think I think people that don't, you know, don't understand the sport that they're talking about, they should, you know, like, hey, slow down and think about what you're saying, because if you don't have a working knowledge of the game. Maybe your opinion doesn't carry as much weight, you know. So anyway, um, half the time they lead in with player safety, but don't really break that down. And it's it's like we're playing football, not flag football. Like that's that's my thoughts on it. I also think with like the with the Minka hit, like if he misses that tackle and Nick Chubb breaks loose, it's a different me, me, uh, Mike is whatever Mika Mike he's getting shedded on because. He just missed a big tackle that could have gained some yards, you know? So, Tim, that's – yeah, exactly. That's a great point, Sam, is people don't understand that, yes, Nick Chubb – Nick Chubb's li- livelihood was affected by this, right? Like, his his job was affected by this. But guess what? If Minka misses that tackle, that's that's his job that's affected by it, right? So, yeah. or not just his. What about, you know, the, the Steelers' defensive coordinator? What about Mike Tomlin? Like – no matter what, somebody's job is affected by this. This is something that drove me nuts, actually, in the week one game, the, uh, the, the opener, the Lions and the Chiefs. I don't know if you guys caught this. Did you see the fake slide that Mahomes did? Yeah, I saw that. Like, see, that's another thing, too. Like, you talk about player safety, but then people can go do that. Like, you know what I mean? So, like, what, what, what do you do? With yeah, it? imagine to give up and not touch them. I don't know. I think the NFL is getting really soft. Like, I know – uh, we'll touch on it later, like you said, the, the Jets game versus Cowboys, but there was a roughing the passer call, I think, on John Franklin Myers. Yep. And when you're going to pull out the quarterback, what, what do you want him to just hold up and stop? Like, I think the rules in the NFL are becoming way, way too soft for the game. Like, I feel like there's so many flags being tossed, and I don't know, even, like, the PIs, too. Like, there's no, like, like, like you have no room to, like, go make a play, I feel like without getting a P.I. tossed at you or a rough in the pass or something like that. What are you supposed to do, just give up on defense? Like, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it, it, so hindsight-based, like, was this targeting? And then you'll look at it. It's a slant route when the safety's 
sprinting down, trying to make a do-or-die play or something. And we watched these replays over and over in the slowest possible motion, and we break down. That's dirty. That's targeting. We throw flags. Like, these refs are in tough situations. They have to use discretion, and we're making it so hard on them by making these Yes, they help player safety, but are they completely avoidable? No, there needs to be more discretion. And I think of a play like when the Eagles lost, I believe it was their undefeated record to, um, was it the Redskins? Yeah, or, or the Commanders, yeah, yeah. I, I know the exact play you're talking about, yep. But his, I guarantee in his mind he's like, man, I really don't want to call that. That was not roughing the path. Like, we're putting refs in these positions where they look worse, it's harder to make the call, and then the players aren't happy about it almost across the league. So I don't know if you guys heard when I, when I said it to Moss and when it, like I I'm all for improving player safety. There are dirty hits that you can take out of the game. And I think we know what a dirty hit looks like, at least football fans do. So like, and I'm starting to question that if people are calling the hit on Chubb a dirty hit. Right. But like, we know what a dirty hit looks like. It's yes. Henry Blackburn on Travis Hunter. That's a dirty hit. Um, in the NFL last week, Kareem Jackson on uh, Logan Wilson, commander's tight end, Logan Wilson. Like, that's a dirty hit. Now, I'm for protecting defenseless receivers, you know, quote-unquote defenseless receivers. I hate the term, but, you know, basically my, my proposal for both college and football is if the player's path of movement is predictable and you, ma- and you make forcible contact to his head, then that should be a penalty. Now, you know, like we'll call that a personal foul. We'll call it roughing the passer. If the player's path of movement is not predictable, which the NFL kind of already has, right? If you're a if you're a runner, contact to the head isn't really called. And that because a running back is shifty, he's going to make moves, you know, like when it's a receiver going up for the ball and you target his head, you know where his head's going to be, right? Now, if it's a receiver that, you know, makes the catch and then takes one step and then you blast him, well, the thing is, that, like, that's a that's a bang bang decision, and I don't, I don't feel like that should be because I don't feel like at that point the receiver's movement is predictable because he's usually going to hunch over. He's going to he's usually these receivers put themselves in the path of harm because they duck down. It's the natural reaction to hunch over when you know you're about to take a hit, and they duck into the hit, and they still call it. I, th- th- these are the kinds of things that like I think they got to take out. And and Tim, actually, I want to like we're going to get to the the Jets and the Cowboys because it's funny you say that. The NFL actually admitted they actually sent a message to the Jets that that shouldn't have been roughing the passer. <laughs> like, like after the fact, it's hilarious that they came back to that and, and, and sent a message to the Jets. Yeah, this is uh, that shouldn't have been roughing the passer. Well, thanks a lot. Like it made a, it made a big fucking difference in our game. You know, the, like we why, we have the technology. Not that I want a million reviews in every game. But a personal foul, like maybe maybe we should maybe we should go to something like that, like college football. It takes way too long in college football, uh, especially when they do it like five times a game. I feel like they could do it a lot quicker. And again, just was this a dirty hit or not? And uh, I don't know. Intent has to be part of it. It can't just be like, oh, did he, you know, what like intent? Whether it was intended to be a dirty hit or not should really, I think, should be what they're trying to decide. Not just did he did he accidentally make contact with his head, and and they should do the same thing for roughing the passer and uh, and defenseless receivers in the NFL. I, I think it should just be a quick review from somebody in you know at the at the officiating headquarters in in New York, I, I, and and they should just call it in. Like I don't need 
a 60 year old man to jog off the field and go look in the, you know, at the monitor. Like we don't need to do all that. Let's just, let's just get this, get it done quickly and expedite it. So anyway, I think we're all on the same page here. So speaking of expediting it, (laughs) um, but we're going to stay on the subject of quarterbacks because this is a crazy one. So, uh, the bears go to the chiefs this week. And so it's, you know, by, by the stats, it's the quarterback with the worst, um, the worst winning percentage in the NFL right now, Justin Fields. So I think he, he's under uh, 20% against the best Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I think he's just under 80% uh, for his career. And, you know, I mean, they're a train wreck right now. So you have uh, Justin Fields comments. I want to ask you guys about this. Um, so Justin Fields is, you know, he had the press, the press conference and a reporter asked him a question. Like, why do you think that? You, so Fields said something about, I, I feel like I'm playing robotic. I feel like I'm thinking too much. And then, and then the reporter asked him, like, why, what do you think's causing you to do that? He says, you know, it could be coaching. And so like, do you guys feel like that now? It, I don't know if you heard the quote. I, I, I listened to the whole press conference or at least that section of it. And I didn't necessarily feel like he was throwing the coaches under the bus, but he also opened himself up to criticism from people that are going to take that out of context. What do you guys think about that? To start, um, I think the field thing's really interesting because it's not necessarily false, but he did the wrong thing during that interview. And I say that because if Fields just handled that interview how we expect every quarterback to handle that, just be about the team, don't throw anyone under the bus, take accountability, we'd all be praising him for staying or doing what he's supposed to in a really shitty situation. I think at the end of the day, the Bears were a train wreck regardless if Fields was playing better. But by calling out his coaches, it doesn't fix anything. I don't think it's going to fix anything that's going on in the Bears organization. And I know football and baseball are two completely different sports, but during failure, as a player, you have that, this instinct to be like, well, I'm doing everything I can, but why isn't this working? That doesn't fix anything. At the end of the day, you're the player on the field. You need to take accountability for it, and you need to, like, I don't think calling out your coaches and saying that's why you're performing bad fixes any of the issues, especially when you're doing it in front of the media. It's just going to bring more media attention to how shitty everything is going, and yeah, they're, they're up against an even bigger wall going into their next game. And, and Tim, you had, Tim, you had some thoughts on fields too. Yeah, I was, uh, I was pretty high on Justin fields coming to the year. I thought, you know, adding DJ Moore to the mix, I thought he was going to be a nice weapon. You know, they had chase, they had a chase Claypool last year. Um, so I thought they had some weapons. I thought fields, you know, finally going to be successful, but yeah, back to the whole press conference thing. Um, I remember, you know, I'm a big Jets fan, so I'm touched off uh, the Jets again. But I remember Zach Wilson last year when he was struggling. Uh, he had made some comments about his team, and he ultimately lost the locker room. Like, the guys didn't want to play for him anymore. They lost confidence in him. Um, but, yeah, standing with Justin Fields, I don't think you should ever go and blame it on your coaching staff or, you know, your teammates. I, I think that's where you start losing trust, confidence, and uh, your coach loses confidence in you, you start losing trust. And it, it's just like the weak way out for me. Like, you're looking for a scapegoat because you're not playing well, you know? Because the heat's on you, so you try to put it on someone else. Well, I got to say, man, like, 
First of all, you guys thinking that the NFL is too soft now, that makes my heart sing. And now I love hearing this. Like, you guys are – I mean, people people talk a lot of shit about the younger generation and people your age. So just so everyone – everyone, you know, if you just started listening, like, this is a 22-year-old and a 20-year-old telling us that, like, pro athletes need to be held more accountable. I love this shit. Thank you guys because that, that makes me happy to hear because – whether, whether Fields meant it or not and whether he was taken out of context or not, yeah, you can't you have to you have to do better, right? Like you're you're the guy, you're the quarterback. Like we 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 heap all this praise on quarterbacks. We literally you know, they're they're a quarter of the team's payroll in some cases. They're they're they get all the glory and then but they they have to be willing to take the criticism too, and they have to be better in front of the media. So whether Fields meant it or not, and I don't want to say for sure that he did, because he, you know, like three hours later, I think it was literally, you know, when he said this was before practice, and then they came out of practice and they had another press conference and he walked back everything he said. I imagine he got a text from his agent that was just like, you know, hey man, you probably better, you probably better clarify what you said or or complete or or try to make it look like you're clarifying what you said. And then he and then he did take all of the accountability. He said like, if I play bad, it's on me. But this is all after the fact, right? So I'll give him credit for at least coming out and saying the right thing. But, yeah, you're the CEO of the team. And, I don't know, Justin Fields, 23, 24 years old. He's not much older than you guys being asked to do a lot. But guess what? If you're going to get the quarterback salary, if you're going get, to get the quarterback praise, if you're going to get the quarterback glory, then, yeah, th- there has to be a downside to it. And there has to be more accountability. So, I don't know, man. When it comes to this, you know, the Justin Fields stuff, I I don't think he handled it well. And, and when it comes to a quarterback position, I feel like this is the only position in in pro sports where we do this, where we where we make excuses for him based on coaching. And whether and and I understand it. I think you know, like you know, Tom Brady is a great example. W- would Brady have been Brady without Bill Belichick? I absolutely do not think so. I. People are really low on Belichick now. I'm low on Belichick right now because he's in his early 70s. But, you know, to say to do this whole thing where, like, you know, Brady wouldn't be Brady uh, or, or, sorry, uh, you know, Belichick wouldn't have been anything without Brady, I think that's ridiculous because Belichick hit his prime and it was just a perfect storm is the way I see it. I don't think Belichick would have been what he is without Brady, but I don't think Brady would have been what he is without Belichick. So coaching is important at the quarterback position, yes, but I also don't think – you should excuse it. You, you know, you should excuse poor play from Justin Fields. The fact of the matter is, Justin Fields is five and twenty-two in his career, and the fact of the matter is, he didn't play well in that ga- that last game against Tampa Bay. And he, you know, so I I don't know what's going to happen this next week. The Bears are a train wreck right now. Um, talk about another guy that doesn't take accountability, Chase Claypool. Um, I don't. I think I'll always hate Claypool for the for what he did in the uh, the Steelers game. Uh, what was it? Yeah, two years ago, where he you know the clock is running down and Claypool's getting a. Um, the Steelers have no timeouts. This is against the Vikings. Yeah, Steelers have no timeouts. Claypool gets a first down with like forty five seconds left. He gets up and does like this flex and like motions first down when they need to get the ball back, and and spike the ball. And the center runs over and tries to take the ball from him, and then like and then the, and then they he knocks the ball away from Claypool accidentally, 
And so, like, I'll never judge somebody for, like, one bad moment. But then after the game, Claypool still blamed the center for it, saying, like, like yeah, I was going to get the ball. And, like, no, dude, you were celebrating with 45 seconds left and no timeouts. You know, P.S., the Steelers lost that game. They probably would have had one or two more plays, you know, to, to score without, without that, you know, fumbling of the ball and not getting it back to the officials so they could spot it. Um, I know Claypool just doesn't strike me as a guy that takes accountability either, so – you know, it it could be really ugly in Chicago right now. Um, I agree. I, I really liked your example of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. I was going to say, um, what like, the Fields thing, there's no positive to what you did. Like, please give me one example in NFL history where a quarterback came out after an early season struggle and was like, it's the coach's fault, and then things got turned around and they became a playoff or a championship contender. It's It was... There's just no situation where what you did is the right thing to do, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> all of that being said, right? There's like, there's even more. There are even more things going in against the Bears right now. More factors stacking up, and it seems like when those kinds of things happen, though, I could almost see this becoming a us versus the world kind of game. The Bears, let's see, they just had their defensive coordinator resign under bizarre circumstances. Here's a player that you, I'm sure you guys don't know, but Charles Tillman, Peanut Tillman, he was a he was a corner for the Bears back in the day. I just found this out this week. He's an FBI field agent, and so there were rumors out there. I can't remember uh, who actually said it. It has not been confirmed. I want to be clear about that, but that Tillman tipped off defensive coordinator Allen Williams that his house was going to be raided. <laughs> so and so, yeah, the defensive coordinator. Um, his lawyer uh, and Ian Rappaport, uh, NFL.com, they both say that that's not true. His house was not raided, that Williams resigned under, uh, you know, just, you know, for his personal health and everything like that. Um, on the Pat McAfee show, he said sources told him that, yes, his ha- that Williams' house was raided. The whole thing's bizarre. Um, so it's just another huge distraction. Um, the, <laughs> the Bears, uh, they had $100,000 worth of equipment of equipment stolen. Somebody broke into the, the, the field and stole um, gators, lawnmowers, a bunch of stuff on Wednesday night. Uh, then I, I just, I read this on Twitter from Clay Harbor, who uh, Jake, you'll remember. Uh, yeah. He's the one that threw the touchdown pass, right? Um, on Philly, Philly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking of the right guy, right? Was it Clay Harbor? I, I know he played for the Eagles. I think that was, um, he was a tight end. He was a t- no. Clay Harbor was a tight end, so that's why I'm thinking it was him. But it might have been it might have been somebody else. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Harbor. I know. I'm looking up the name right now. Okay, cool. Thank you. All right, I'm gonna keep talking while you look that up. But anyway, Clay Harbor was an eagle, though. But he, what's that? Ray Burton threw the ball. Oh, yeah, Burton. That's yeah. My bad. Um, okay, but Clay Harbor did play for the Eagles at one point. Um, and he was a bear and now he, it looks like he's like a beat reporter for the bears. So he reported this on Twitter. This is bad, especially with about to play Chris Jones. Um, the bears, two guards, Nate Davis and Cody Whitehair, according to pro football focus rankings, they rank all the, you know, basically positive and negative plays. So out of 72 guards that have played this year, Nate Davis is 68th. Cody Whitehair is 64th. And then on those same rankings, their center, Lucas Patrick, is dead last. So, and they have Chris Jones coming to town. Um, or excuse me, not coming to town. No, it's going to be, 
What'd you say? That's consistency. That's that's great consistency. <laughs> so, so it, like you put all these things. Like I mean, the Chiefs' best defensive player is going to be against the Bears' worst offensive players, and then you obviously have Patrick Mahomes going against that defense that is struggling as well. So all these things. Not to mention, I just read this too. Um, it, uh, it, it didn't occur to me that the Bears have only had one winning season since they fired Lovey Smith in 2012. After he went 10 and six, by the way. Um, all of that being said, I feel like I feel like Chicago getting away from Chicago. They're going to go play at Arrowhead. <laughs> it might be the best thing for them. And Justin Fields says he's just going to. He said, "F it, I'm going to play my way." And who knows at this point? I I kind of. I could kind of see this being a close game. I could I could see them jumping on the Chiefs early. Um, not to be underrated, Nick Bolton is out. Linebacker Nick Bolton for the Chiefs. Um, Kadarius Tony's questionable. Um, Pacheco is is questionable. Um, so they might both play, but Nick Bolton has already been ruled out. He's he is one of the best linebackers in football right now. So. I don't know. This 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 could get really ugly, or it could be an ugly start for the Chiefs. And I think just the way the Chiefs are, Kelsey's healthy now. Um, I could see this being like a comeback win, and the Chiefs win by three. That, that's my prediction. I'm going to say like 31-28 Chiefs. I think that's what's going to happen. I I think the Chiefs are going to blow them out. I think Andy Reid's going to have the team ready, and they had a couple weeks to kind of get things together. With um, I know they haven't looked good the first two weeks, but Patrick Mahomes, regardless of what anyone wants to think about him, is arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. And I think it's going to really show seeing, like you said, he has the highest winning percentage against Justin Fields, who has the worst. And I think we're going to see that trend continue. It's another interesting – oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like piggyback on what Richard said, I think, I think the Chiefs should come out firing. I think the Bears are in for a rude awakening this weekend. I, I think – they're gonna get torched. I think this is the, the game where Mahomes finally turns it up, and they're gonna come out. They're gonna come out shooting. And they're gonna they're gonna kick the shit out of them. <laughs> you know, like the other thing that I think about, right, is if if Justin Fields were already on a a big contract, I would say this week Matt Eberflus would be coaching for his job in Chicago. That being said, Fields is only he's still on his rookie deal, and I kind of wonder if they might. You know, it's a little bit different when Justin Fields is only making, you know, whatever, $5 million this year or whatever it is, right? But um, that's kind of why I think, like, the Bears, they might they might have that one week where, where they, they just put everything together finally and everybody plays hard. And, and you know, I don't think Matt Eberflus and his coaching staff are getting a lot of sleep this week because I feel like they're just trying to scheme up whatever they possibly can. And I, I don't know. I could just see the Bears coming out and getting out to a two-touchdown lead and shocking everybody. And then I think, and then I think the Chiefs will boat race them from there and end up winning the game. I think that's what's going to happen. I, I don't think it's going to be the uh, the Bears' week here. I, I think it's going to be uh, a, a long game for Chicago. All right. Well, well, we will find out in uh, well about twenty four hours, I guess. So, um, I like how you said um, this is really make or break for their coaches. I mean, they got called out by their quarterback, which is why I think what Fields did was kind of terrible it's like you're pitting them against you not how do we fix this how do we make this work so if fields doesn't perform well but the offense looked decent and the defense played well it's gonna look really bad for him yeah the uh i don't know it's weird i wonder i wonder if they will side with the coaching staff because because they haven't invested in him yet like if they had given him if they had already given him a lamar jackson deal 
I think they would have no choice but to side, but to side with Fields, you know what I mean? But because he's still on his rookie deal and next year could be his last year as a Bear if they decide not to pick up his rookie option, um, I don't know. It, it, like, it's hard to say what a, what a big loss would do this week. Um, I, think, I think it would be a little bit more clear if he was a $45 million a year quarterback. But uh, speaking of franchise quarterbacks named Justin, uh, Justin Herbert, I don't know what you guys think about this one. I I was actually kind of I've I've been critical of Herbert myself uh, to start this year because I really thought this was the year that the Chargers were going to turn things around. So far, that hasn't materialized. They lost a couple of games that it didn't really. Look. The Dolphins game is one thing, but uh, the Titans game is a game that they shouldn't have lost. And so this is interesting. An anonymous AFC scouting director said Herbert isn't elite. First of all, he has elite talent but struggles against reading defenses. He's a predetermined thrower, not a passer. Some pretty interesting comments made anonymously, so nobody put their name to it. And I say this like somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I kind of wonder if the anonymous AFC scouting director is the Chargers scouting director to uh, to kind of give him a little bit of a push or something. But I don't know, interesting comments. You guys have anything to add there? Yeah, I was actually uh, talking about these uh, the other night with my roommates. We were, I was saying uh, – are the Chargers are Chargers not a good team? I, I mean, I feel like it's been a couple of years now where, you know, you got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Eckler, and then you go on the defense side of the ball. You got Nick Bosa, Derwin James. Khalil Mack. Feel, yeah, Khalil Mack. I, yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like they should be like a powerhouse team, but they just never seem to get it done. They just never seem to pull out the win when it matters, you know? I, I don't know. I also kind of put this on coaching. Brandon Staley, I... I thought he was going to start to figure it out, and I don't believe in firing coaches. I feel like you should give coaches some time. But Brandon Staley's had some time, and this is another guy that I don't want to say he's coaching for his job this week, but, yeah, I mean, the Vikings should be a get-right game. And if they don't, if they don't beat the Vikings, like, you know, 0-3, I don't, I don't even know what the figures are. 0-2, it's bad enough, um, your playoff odds. And in that AFC to start 0-3, the AFC stacked this year. Um, if you start 0 3, you know, you're, you're really, you're really facing an uphill climb. So I don't know, like watching Herbert, I kind of, you know, I watched a little bit of the Titans game last night and I do wonder if some of it is coaching. Like there were, there was, there were a couple of third and like third and short, like third and three where they just handed the ball off. It worked a couple of times. It didn't work a couple of times. Then on third and three, they went like four verticals and ends up, and, uh, Herbert, Herbert ends up getting sacked. And I just, I kind of wonder about, you know, yeah, I just wonder if, if Staley's coaching. Also, like, I, I feel like he's too analytic-based. I feel like he's too, um, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to go forward on fourth down now. And I feel like he's just looking at the spreadsheets instead of paying attention to the flow of the game. And you guys are baseball guys, so you guys know all about, like, the nerds are taking over the game too much, right? Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I just I, – I don't know about uh, Justin Herbert. I feel like – He's had the ball twice with a chance to win the game these last two weeks. And, and he's gone 0 for 3 um, in both of those games, it, like, you know, it, when he on those drives. So in the Dolphins game, you know, Mawson and I said uh, it was interesting with, like, you know, with about two minutes to go, the Chargers just need a field goal to win. They're, they were only down two. And then Vic Fangio on the Dolphins, he dials up some blitzes and he comes after Herbert and, and he goes 0 for 3 and, or, or I think it's sacked on one of them, so maybe 0 for 2. Um, 
but anyway, so yeah, so so the Dolphins win that game. So like we we kind of said, okay, good game. You know, it was, it was two good teams, and it is what it is. Now this one, Herbert, you know, they, they allow the Titans to get the go-ahead touchdown. It's 24-21. Herbert did drive them down to get the tying field goal, but then the Chargers have the ball first, and and Herbert goes over three in overtime, and the Titans go down and, and win it with a field goal. It's just if you want to be elite, and and he's already gotten paid like he's elite. You have to win those games. Yeah, especially when you got a team like the Titans, man. I, I think the Titans are on the on the downfall. They definitely are, and I hate it because it's a power running football team. I mean, I mean, Derrick Henry. I mean, that that's the kind of football I like, right? But yeah, the Titans are the Titans are not contenders anymore. That's a team. Yeah, that's a team you got to go out and beat, especially if you want to be considered an elite team. In the AFC, the AFC is only getting better. I think the AFC is the best division of football. I don't, I don't think there's like that many weak teams in the AFC. But, um, yeah, there's, there's no reason you should you should go play the Titans and lose, drop the game to those Tannehill at quarterback. I mean. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's definitely on the downside in Tennessee. Like I said, it makes me sad because, like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to root. I root for any of those teams that have that style. You know, I'm rooting for the Lions right now. I'm rooting for the Falcons. Rooting for the 49ers, of course. Um, and of course the Eagles, you know, like my childhood favorite team. So, you know, like, I mean, anybody that like still believes in the running game, I'm rooting for them. Um, but yeah, the Titans just, you know, they, they don't look like a team that's really going to contend. So if, I thought this was the year the Chargers might turn the corner. They might actually beat the Chiefs out because I'm not as high on the Chiefs as a lot of people are. And yeah, I, it, it just doesn't look that way. It looks like it's the Chiefs division to lose again. Um, anyway. This is what I so guys, we've already done an hour and you know and, and we haven't even really talked baseball yet. And that's what I brought you guys on was to talk baseball. So, you know, uh not not all the most recent story. Well, actually Shohei Otani's is pretty recent. Um so he finally had the surgery on his on his torn UCL. His agent says he's he's good to hit next year. Um I mean, what a bummer what like how much money he lost because he seems like a very likable player um I, I i wish like i wish he like spoke english in his interviews more only because it would make him connect with like the audience here more um or it makes me want to you know learn japanese i guess but like he just seems like such a likable player such a you know such a hard worker and um and this is his second ucl surgery if i'm is, is, am i right on that yeah yeah tommy john one of the time for sure yeah so um I mean, was this was this a full Tommy John again? I, I mean, I think it was, right? Um, I'm not sure. I believe it was. Honestly, it was smaller. Yeah, I want to say it was smaller too. So his agent says that he's going to be back pitching in 2025. Um, I sure hope so. I mean, it's so fun like to have a guy like that. You know, I, I do have one question for you, Tim, as a pitcher. Do pitchers kind of do, do pitchers kind of hate him because he's making pitchers look bad? Because he also goes up there and rakes and hits forty home runs a year. Um, I wouldn't say pitchers hate him. I mean, it's, I mean, I say that as a joke, like you know, but but it's like it's making pitchers look bad, right? Because there's like, yeah, definitely a little bit, especially since they got the universal DH now. But I think what's a player like Shohei Otani, what he brings to the game, I think is is crazy because it's something like that's never seen before, but like really like. And I think that uh, I think another thing with Shohei Otani that I think I think the pitching the whole pitching thing I think it's just going to come to an end. Just I I don't think it's practical to be able to do both at 100. percent You know, go out on Friday and throw 
115 pitches and then you're in the lineup swinging it back the next day. I mean, there's like not, not enough time for your body to recover. So I think eventually he's going to be slated in the field somewhere, whether, whether it be right field, first base. I think he's going to become a full-time hitter. Yeah, it's, well, and the thing is, is he the scouts say he would be a stud outfielder too, because he was an outfielder in Japan when he was younger, and he was he was just great in the outfield too. So he's just like a baseball savant, basically, you know. Yeah, and I think something that people I think this gets overlooked a lot, especially in the media, because not many people nowadays are that much into baseball. But Shohei Otani, yes, at the MLB level, he is this unicorn. But the pitchers being amazing hitters is nothing new. Going through high school, most of your top D1 prospects that are going to pitch at these Division One schools, they're going to pitch because they want to make it to the pro level, and they're a little bit better as a pitcher. They're most likely still one of the top hitters in the state, easily the best hitter on their team, and they two-way, and they would love to two-way in college, but there's such a risk with it. Um, and just an example from me growing up, I played against an athlete named Brennan Oxford, um, his junior year, he threw five no-hitters in a row, and he was also hitting, like, 400. He easily could have been a hitter in college, but it was just, like, he was an elite-level hitter, is what I'm saying, while being an elite-level pitcher. And even on Florida, they had a couple players that two-wayed and were nasty. Their best player was a star, uh, I forget his name, Jack. Where, Florida? Yeah, the Florida. Uh, is it the lefty? One second, I'll pull it up. So, wait, wait, so, like, and I think... I think what generally happens is you need to, as you get, so like, you know, like a, like a, a kid like Oxford, I remember him. Um, I remember his name anyway. Um, he, anybody like that is just like a great athlete in high school and you can kind of get by, you know, just being a great athlete, great hand eye coordination, everything like that. And so you, and so you can two way and you could probably do that even at the college level. But then when you get to the pros, you need to specialize a little bit more because it's just like the, yeah, the specialization required of a pitcher, the specialization required of a hitter. I mean, that's why we haven't seen it before, or at least for a hundred years, right? Um, why we haven't seen it is we know what's they know what's going to happen. I mean, it's not even just at college, high school level. Look at the MLB. Madison Bumgarner rates when he hit as a pitcher. That's funny. That was the one I was going to bring up. He would hit like five or six home runs a year. Yeah. Right. Degrom too. Degrom was a great hitter for a pitcher, and he throws one hundred two off the mound, like. These are, yeah, they're unicorns, but they're not as rare as it seemed. The reason why people have to specialize as a hitter or a pitcher. Shohei's on his second UCL injury. He can't keep, at, at some point, there's going to be a decision made. And it sucks because as a pitcher, I think he's brought more excitement to the game of baseball. During the baseball classic, when it was Shohei versus Trout, it was Shohei on the bump. That was, like, Olympics doesn't have baseball. So for that moment, like, it felt like one of the most important moments in the history of baseball for the world, you know what I mean? Here's Shohei, who's making the game so much more international versus Trout, who everyone thinks is, like, our modern-day greatest of all time. And just being able to see that matchup and their teammates, um, it, it was incredible. And I think Shohei brings more value to the game as a pitcher. You can impact the game more. Yeah, he's an insane DH and hits the crap out of the ball, too. But when you lose an ace, it's a lot different than losing a position player. Yeah. Nope, go ahead, Tim. With the whole two-way thing, you know, there's some names like, I don't know if you remember Brendan McKay. Um, he got drafted by the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, but he was a two-way player. He pitched and hit. Uh, Hunter Green, another two-way player. Hunter Green, I'm, I don't know if he hit 
in the minor leagues, but he uh, he hit in high school and then he got drafted. But both those guys too had Tommy John. So is is it something where you know going out and swinging a bat and then getting on the mound? Does your body need more time to recover? Is like is that why these guys are getting hurt? But I think that's something interesting to think about. Well, yeah. So I was just actually going to say this. So glad you brought it up. Was you know, so I was a kinesiology major in college. Like, yeah. So I'm totally using that now. <laughs> um, but yeah. So like, you know, the study of human movement and how you know, so things like pattern overload. Um, you know, basically, there's not a, much of a case study for somebody like Shohei, because, um, at least not at the major league level, not the major league workload, right? And so he, he's almost like a test case in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, wh- like what is a 28-year-old's body going to do when they're, when they're trying to hit and pitch? Like we don't have a lot of examples of that, right? So it's, it's interesting. Like the teams that are interested in signing him this offseason, they don't have a lot of data to go on. And, and I think you guys might be right. Like he might have to decide one way or the other. And because he's already had two Tommy John surgeries, it's it probably, it's going to end up being as an outfielder as opposed to a starting pitcher. Right. Cause it's not like, it's not like he can keep doing this two way thing where he's a DH and he comes in as a relief pitcher because you're in the dugout. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to be a DH and be a relief pitcher? Like you can't, like it, it doesn't work. Right. So, um, I think, I think his future is a, as an outfielder. And it's crazy how much money he's going to lose as a result because um, I think that's the conclusion a lot of teams are going to come to. Uh, I don't know. Where would you guys like to see him end up? Um, Jake, not the Red Sox because we know that's not going to happen. I think uh, Shohei, I mean, I'm a Yanks fan, so. Um, but they don't spend money either anymore either. You know, Well, they do, but they spend it on, they spend it on older players, and they're definitely more budget conscious lately. Um, but I don't know. I mean, do you, you think in Yankees, Tim? Uh, well, like I, I would love to think the Yankees. Do I do I think that's where he ends up? No, I think he's gonna stay on the West Coast. I think he either ends up in the the blue and white, and uh, and uh, Dodgers, or I think he might even shoot up with the uh, joint Tatis and Juan Soto over there in uh, San Diego. Oh man, they'd probably have to clear some payroll in San Diego, though, right? Yeah, well, last year, uh, I don't know if, like, when the whole judge thing was going on, and you know, it was like the race for judge. They went, dude. They threw a contract out at judge, the Padres, that was more than what the Yankees were giving him. So, and then they went and got Bogarts. I mean, I, I don't know if money is a thing that they really worry about. San, I also think, San Diego was in on judge too. I know San Francisco was. San Diego, San Diego offered judge. I think the the highest contract out of out of every team. I thought that was San Francisco, but uh, I don't know. I'd have to check into that. Um, San Diego's obviously willing to spend money, and I think Otani's one of those interesting ones where he he'll bring he'll bring money in to the team because I mean, like any any city that has like a big Asian American population. I mean, really, it doesn't even matter if it's Asian American, right? It's like I mean, I feel like he's just such a transcendent star right now. Um, like it's kind of like when the Red Sox you know traded Mookie Betts. It's like what kind of like what does it matter what he costs like even even if you lose a little bit of money on him like do you even care about winning you know what i mean so like it's um i don't know you might be right about you might be right about the padres you might be right about wanting to stay on the west coast too i i disagree and uh i think while you think there's no way he ends up in boston i think the red sox are easily a top 3 contender to land him they have well to start 
Bloom's gone, thank God. I think we could all just feel happy about that as a Red Sox or any Red Sox fan. But um, the way the off-seasons have gone the last couple of years suggests that they're going to go all out for Otani. Um, not bringing back Mookie, like you said. Not bringing back Xander Bogarts. These things didn't make sense. Xander Bogarts is arguably, and arguably, I mean, the Red Sox are a historic team, but the greatest shortstop to ever play for the Red Sox. Up there. Not the best, but he might be. And you let him walk when he wanted to stay. He tried to stay. That's, that's my understanding. They tried to make things work out, and it didn't work out. When the whole fan base wants a player back, the player wants to stay, and he's still producing, how do you not bring him back? Mookie Betts at the time was the hottest player in baseball. Like, guaranteed production, guaranteed MVP candidate. He's going to help your team win games. And we let him go. We let him go. It doesn't make sense. So, Will Middlebrooks actually made a comment a couple days ago, it might have been yesterday, um, about Shohei Otani in Boston. And he said there's not much he could say. They're going to take their chance. That front office right now, at this moment, is trying to find a way to get Shohei Otani. And I think that's why they got rid of Bloom. I think it's why they didn't sign Xander. And I think it's why they played a little bit of a smaller role in free agency this past season. There were opportunities to go out, make huge offers at players. One player, for example, I thought the Red Sox were going to go after was uh, Radon. And the Yankees ended up getting him, and it didn't really work out. But at the time, I thought that would have been a good player for the Red Sox to go after with their money. They played in small market, got some really good players at decent prices like Adam Duvall, and they're set up to really have a great offseason and build off this, while it's disappointing because of how good the AL East has been this year, the season really wasn't that terrible for the roster that they put together. And I think Shohei alongside Yoshida, with what you're talking about, that international attention, the Red Sox are primed for Shohei Otani to come in, be a huge name, and bring in a lot of money. I don't know, man. I'm afraid... I, I hope you're right, but I don't – I think that that I, – I don't see that because here's the thing. Like, Bogarts and Betts, that's, that, those are ownership-level decisions. Like, you can, you can blame it on the GM all you want, but a GM was brought in to make decisions like that and, and have conversations with the owner and, and go along with what the owner wanted. And I think that this is just like – this is all in the post-Dombrowski era where they were all – you know – yeah, he he raided their farm system, and so Bloom was brought in. You know, maybe maybe there's a case to be made, right? Bloom was a guy that was brought in to build up the farm system. Now, what I think is happening is I think Bloom is just the sacrificial lamb, and I feel like they're going to bring in another guy to do the same exact thing. I think that the I think that Henry John Henry wants to play this small market. Um, with you know, even though he's a, it's a big market team, and and that's disgraceful if you're the Red Sox, if you're a Red Sox fan. Because ticket prices keep going up. If you're gonna you should if you're the Red Sox, if you're the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, all these big market teams, you should be able to do both. You should be able to compete every year and you should be able to build your farm system. You should, you have the resources to do both. So for so that's the only part that I disagree with is for you to say for the roster they had, it wasn't that bad of a year. Well, any year you miss the playoffs, especially in this era where six teams make it unacceptable that's what that's what i say when it comes to the red sox i as far as the contract thing with bogarts i just disagree he was offered 106 million over six years at most and then a year later they throw 330 million over 11 years at raffy devers if it was all about small market all these things they would have let raffy walk 
he's a defensive liability. Offensive production's only worth so much in one player, and they put $330 million into him. That's basically, like, Judd's got more money, but it's essentially they what the Yankees did with Judge. They re-signed their best player for a massive amount of money. Did that make the team better? No, it didn't. I know, but... The ownership playing into a small market, it doesn't make sense to me. I think, without a doubt, any Red Sox fan right now would rather have Xander Bogarts than Rafael Devers. That might be a crazy take, but Bogarts, to me, was the leader of the team, the leader of the locker room, and he had the experience of when David Ortiz and all those players were still on the team. He was a rookie. He stayed with the team, went through many struggles, many down years, many years where they were disappointing endings, like when David Ortiz retired. That was a super depressing year. The first year we lost to the Astros in the playoffs, that was devastating. We got, I think we lost all three games. Um, and he stayed, and we won a World Series in 2018. And he was willing to stay and be that franchise player. And you look at what the Yankees did with Judge. They made him captain, gave him all the money. Bogarts was set up to be our captain, to have that contract and continue to be that consistent elite player. And we let him go to the Padres over money when we were supposed to be if, if we're trying to be a small market team, why are we throwing three hundred thirty million? Well, that I know, but that's my point, Jake. That's defensive liabilities at third base. It doesn't make much sense to me. No, I don't. I don't think it makes sense. But what I, what I'm saying is that is that is small market mentality, though. Is like okay, we can only have one, you know, big long term contract player. Whereas, yeah, the Yankees, the Mets, the the Dodgers, they they have multiple guys on huge. 10-year, you know, 300-plus million-dollar deals. The Padres, they have that. Whereas the Red Sox are treating it like, oh, we can only do one. And also, they're just doing a bad job. Like somebody like Chris Sale. Chris Sale's, you know, on, still on the books for a lot of money. Um, but instead of, instead of trading Sale out or, some, you know, and paying half of his salary or something like that to, to get him off the books, they, you know, they keep him there. It's just, it's not necessarily small market mentality, but it's definitely not, playing like a big market either so that's that's my take on it i agree with you i i think bogart i would have picked bogarts over bets or excuse me i would have picked bogarts over devers because bogarts he was he was a average defensive player and he was a plus offensive player at a position where it's hard to find offense right um that being said you know and this is actually a good segue into what we want to talk about here is the rule changes in baseball I could make a defense for the Red Sox on this is that you're going to need because of the banning of the shift and because there's going to be, I think there's going to be more speedy runners on teams. They're going to start emphasizing that more again. Defense might start to be more important again. And so you, and so shortstop might need to be a position where you have a stud at shortstop as opposed to just a, you know, an average defender like Bogarts. Um, so uh, like I want to ask you guys this and, and I don't even know what all the, the changes in college were. I understand that that you guys have a pitch clock and everything too. Can you guys you guys speak to that like how has uh how has everything changed in college baseball? I'll go first just cuz I know um I'm more of a fan of the new rules than Tim might be. Um the biggest changes that we saw were the 20 second pitch clock for the pitchers. Batters have a 10 second clock to be in the box. And then that's between every – is that between at-bats or between every pitch? That's between every pitch. Okay. And then pitchers have one step-off per batter? Uh, yeah, I think it's per batter. But you can pick off unlimited amount. So I thought at first, when we first did this, 
Um, we had an inner squad out on the field. We brought in some umpires because they were still training on the new rules. And I was really nervous about it because they were really focused on the clock rules. And it felt like the calls and other areas were slipping. And pro umpires, obviously, they're in stadiums. They have all the clocks. They're, they're set up to be successful. College umpires are already in a really tough situation. So giving them more responsibility, more things to watch and keep track of, I think is going to affect their accuracy of the game. But overall, I loved what the changes did. I thought it accomplished what they were supposed to accomplish. The games were faster. There was a lot less timeouts and just BS time-wasting. We all have watched a baseball game where the other team just takes their time getting the other pitcher ready, and it, it kills the momentum of a game. It kills the momentum of an inning and a bat, everything. They took that out of our game in a way, and it didn't feel that much different for a batter. The only thing I didn't like is they were a lot stricter on timeouts on the batters. Even though you had them, you would call time and get ignored, even though you still had one. And, yeah, that was my thoughts on it. I really liked how it did actually speed up the game, and it didn't seem like we were playing a different sport. All right. So I want to uh... – it's funny because this, this wasn't, wasn't the take I expected from you. And so before I let Tim go, I want to I give my take here. I, I remember when I first talked to you about it and I said, like, my, my initial take was like, yeah, I think this is what baseball needs. Now, when I was saying that, I was talking about pro baseball. Um, I've never really been to, like, a high school game or, you know, I guess I haven't actually watched a college game other than, like, college World Series. But I never felt like the pace of play was that bad at the lower levels. It was a pro thing where David Price is stepping off the mound and scratching his nuts and, you know, wiping his, the sweat off his brow three different times before he throws another fucking pitch. Um, and so I was like, okay, like, this will change that. That's good. And then after my initial take on it, I was like, you know what? I actually kind of feel bad because, like, you know, so, like, you know, a catcher, you know, like you, Jake, you know, it's going to change the running game in baseball. And so, like, as a football fan that's watched them change all these rules, like, I don't even think illegal contact should be a rule, but now they're emphasizing it, and it drives me fucking nuts. Um, but, I, like, I think holding should be a penalty against a corner. I don't think illegal contact should be. You should be able to bump a receiver all you want but, uh, before the pass. Whatever, that's just my take, right? But, yeah, all the emphasis on player safety, you know, again, we, we talked that to death about just about how it's gone overboard. All those different things, right? Um, and so I was, like I said, if you don't understand the game, which I don't think I have a, a good enough understanding of baseball to say those things, then I need to keep my mouth shut. And so like most people need to keep their mouth shut. Um, so now, but yeah, like, so Tim, I want to get your side of it. You're a pitcher. You're the one who's had to deal with this the most. I thought, you know, I thought a catcher would probably be pissed about it too. Cause more stolen bases and things like that. But, um, yeah, Tim, like, what, how do you feel about it as a pitcher? So I'll touch on the pro level at first. Well, I think better when I when I'm buying a ticket or I'm sitting down to watch a game. I want to see nine like nine full innings of good baseball. Like I feel like the MLB is trying to move the game to to, to get more people who aren't true baseball fans to love going to baseball games and watch. Oh man, you're 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 speaking to me right now. Keep going. I think that uh, the pitch clock rule. They're, they're trying to get games shorter so people, you know, you know how people, you know, will go to a game like, oh, my God, this is so boring. You hear it all the time, baseball's a boring sport. But to me, as a true fan, and I love for the game, to me, I, I love that. Like, I love seeing guys, like, you know, see full nine innings and see how these guys, like, you know, get ready. He's, you know, some guys might take longer than others. Look at guys like Alec Manoa, who last year was in the race for the Cy Young, and then this year rolls around, 
you know, I think the pitch clock, especially with a heavier guy like Manoa, I think it definitely, you know, makes him have to be quicker. And then, you know, maybe you're not focused as much. Maybe maybe you're more fatigued. But I think at the college level, I, I think there's there's no I think that there's no need for that. You know what I mean? Like, not I feel like especially D two and lower levels. Who cares how long the game takes? Like, I, like for me, I love going to the field. You know, I'll, I'll spend the whole day there. So it doesn't matter to me. But with the pitch clock rule, I don't know. I work quick anyway, so I get the ball. Usually, I'm right back on the mound, ready to go. But, well, yeah. Let me let me stop you there, Tim. What, I mean, do you guys? What is the average time of a of a college baseball game? I mean, we our conference is a little different. We play two to three doubleheaders a week, so a lot of our games are seven innings. But um, we're we're looking at at least two and a half to three hour games. The quickest when we were down in Myrtle Beach, start of the season, the pitch clock just came out. Everyone was kind of like antsy about it. You could tell they're right back on the mound, right in the box. Um, those games were close to almost two hours, I feel like, and it really just depends what happens in the game, like. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. A normal, fast game where the pitchers dominate. But what about a game where 25 runs are scored? That game is going to take a while. Pitchers are going to get subbed in and out. Like, there's certain things they're not going to be able to control. But on a pro level, one thing I would like to say, and I understand there's pitchers like Alex Manoa and bigger guys. One thing I like that Manfred has done with the new rules is they're bringing athleticism back into the game. The bigger bases makes it easier to steal. The time limits makes it easier to steal. The last couple of years have been almost like boring with runners on base. You're just waiting for a bomb to be hit. Who's going to hit the bomb? Who's going to hit the bomb? It's not like that anymore. People are stealing bags like crazy. Acuna had an insane year with the steals, and he still hits bombs. Like it's it's making it's kind of like what you said with how you like college football more than the NFL. The MLB is now back to being baseball by banning the shift. All these things. It's back to almost small ball. Whereas before, we were seeing a smaller product in velo and bombs. Who can throw it the hardest? Who can hit it the furthest? Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some credit, Jake, because I know I know you're. I mean, you love baseball, and so you know, like you, they at at first it felt like they were messing with the purity of the game, and and so I sympathize with Tim. You know, or really, I'm sure it's both of you. Where it's like like people saying that baseball is boring because somebody will say, you know, a 17-13 football game where it's two teams that run the ball well and play good defense. Yeah, sometimes those are just bad football games. Sometimes it's just inept offense, right? But if you know the game, you know sometimes it's great defense. Like a good example, people saying that the Patriots-Rams Super Bowl was boring. The uh, Well, actually, really, both of them. They were both low scoring. But the most recent one, 13-3. to I'm sorry, that was good defense. And that was that was an entertaining game for me. And so it, it really frustrates me when people that don't understand the game, maybe have never played it down in their life, come in and say, well, this is boring. It's like, well, fuck you. Don't go. Don't watch that. And, of course, the NFL is not going to say that. The NFL is trying to do this. They're trying to bring in as many casual fans as they can, and it's about fantasy football and all that bullshit instead of the actual game. Like, for me, I just want there to be more than one path to a championship. That's why I root for somebody like the 49ers that doesn't have a quote-unquote elite quarterback. Like, Purdy's good, you know what I mean, especially with the cast that he has around him. But, you know, to do the cross-sport comparison, yeah, it's more fun in baseball when there's – yeah, you've got a team like the Braves that right now, like, they are definitely like a, you know, get on base and hit bombs kind of team, and that's fine. But I also want the team – that can do hit and run and steal bases and play small ball, like you said. 
Um, you know, bring the bunt back, all those things. You know what I mean? I would love to see more of that. I'd love to see more great defensive plays, web gems, all that shit, right? Instead of just walk, walk, home run, you know? <laughs> like, so um, so I, I can definitely see both sides of it, but, uh, you know, that's my take on it is I'm just – I'm tired of casual fans coming in and changing the game, you know, or, you know by, basically by proxy, but, you know, because the, because the owners are going to cater to them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, one point we haven't even talked about with it is guys are getting injured. Pitchers are getting injured like crazy this year. And that's one thing I'm worried about at the pro level. Are we going to see people retiring younger because their arms just can't keep up with the pace of the game? And I I don't remember who made this post, but I saw a post on Instagram talking about like, if you pitch a complete game, yeah, it might take three and a half hours, but you're only pitching like actively throwing that baseball for two minutes and like 35 seconds so all that extra time the walking around it takes time to get your body mentally and physically loaded to throw a pitch so i think injuries to like like sure sure got that hurt this year just got hurt to Brom, shohei um maybe these could have been preventable and if they were preventable because of the pitch clock that's a clear debate that the pitch clock isn't helping well i would argue game then the game is not as well like it's not as good yeah i mean like yeah none of us we don't want injuries i would argue and and i don't know for sure but i would argue from the kinesiology side of it again um i think the stresses put on pitchers arms have just gotten greater and greater like the the average speed of of a fastball has just continued to climb right and so i kind of wonder if that has something to do with it like you're just seeing more and more guys you know you know, hitting triple digits you know, like regularly, right? And I and I, I I feel like the the Greg Maddox type. I'm not saying that he he doesn't exist anymore, but that guy that just locates and you know and barely hits 90 is much more rare. And t- and and maybe that's a result of the power hitting. You know, it, it being just a home run type of game, right? Like you just want to blow a pitch by a guy now. Um, and so maybe that'll start to change. Maybe those maybe those guys that locate a little bit more and, and, and use off speed a little bit more are going to become more valuable again as a result of, you know, the game became, being more defensive again as a result of teams valuing defense more. So, so the hitters aren't going to be as many power hitters. You're not going to have a power hitting shortstop and second baseman anymore or center fielder. Like those are going to be little speedy guys again. So maybe, maybe the Greg Maddox type can be more valuable again. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I think definitely. I mean, I think there's always a spot in the game for guys, like you said, like Greg Maddox, guys that maybe don't throw the hardest, but, you know, they got they got gross stuff, and they, they'll sit there and they'll dot up. You know, they won't miss a spot. But I think, like, with the guys that, tri- like, the triple-digit stuff, I, I think that's just the evolution of the game. Like, you see guys hitting balls 470 feet now. Back in the day, they weren't doing that. You know what I mean? But with uh, the throwing hard, I think that also has to do with all the uh, – like all the technology you have now, like there's so many programs that you can get on that just preach. Like throw, they, they don't care if you throw strikes; they just preach how hard you throw the ball. So, so my point being on that though, right, is so guys have learned how to throw harder. Like you know, like I'm sure with with your leverage, you you know, using your leg drive more, things like that. Obviously, something that you could speak to more, Tim. I'm sure. But my point being is that the you know the the ulnar collateral ligament. The game evolves, but the ulnar collateral ligament hasn't evolved. You know what I mean? Like humans are humans are still humans, and so has the 
has the game changed in a way that's actually creating more injuries because guys are throwing harder? Like, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think like I think everyone. I think it depends on the player ultimately. Like, I think everyone's body has a different capacity of what, what they can do, right? So, uh, but yeah, I don't know. You see it now too, like especially with so many like young kids, like I don't know, like weighted balls, like all this training they see online. That's great. That might that might work for someone, but for them, it, it might be hurting them more. If that makes sense. Yeah, it's. I've heard the joke before, basically, like, if you haven't had Tommy John, like, you're not a real pitcher now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like uh, I mean, it's it's a joke, but it seems like it's happening more and more often. And the other thing that it could be with that is it you're seeing more um, specialization at the high school level, which I hate as a coach because um, most D1 athletes played more than one sport. And that's for a reason. Kids get burnt out, you know? And I, I think you guys can speak to this even more, but I was a coach pretty recently, and it's like, when kids focus on one sport, not only are they mentally getting burnt out, but their bodies are getting burnt out on doing the same thing. Like I say, no, go play football, go play basketball, go wrestle if you're a lineman, you know. I mean, whatever. I would I'd advocate for wrestling if you play football no matter what position. But anyway, um but I don't know, what do you think about that? Like spe- specialization in baseball, if you're throwing a baseball 365 days a year, like like that's that's not something that is uh, that's a pretty recent development where people are 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 doing that. What do you think of that? Yeah, and just to kind of talk about like the mental side you were just bringing up, that's something that you start to experience when you get to college too. Um, you're baseball year round, and you're expected to stay on baseball. I mean, when we go to a basketball court, that is a health risk. That is a risk to our team. Um, when we go to play flag football or two hand touch football outside. You know what I mean? Like, those are risky behaviors for us as college baseball players. So it's almost like you're discouraged on being a more well-rounded athlete. And like you're saying, specialization is starting to happen so young. You'll see kids who are playing baseball year-round at 13, 14, playing hundreds of games a season. Like you said, your body, the UCL isn't meant to throw how we're throwing now. Never mind, we're putting little kids through MLB seasons. Yeah, I, I so yeah, exactly. I mean I I mean I've seen it, you know. I've seen it even with wrestling, right? Where like and honestly wrestling's probably not one of those ones where like you're going to yeah, you're going to beat the hell out of your body, but that wouldn't even be too much of an issue cuz wrestling's all kind of natural movements for the most part. But um but yeah, I wouldn't advocate anybody play football year round. I I wouldn't advocate wrestling year round. Um like take a break, you know, even, even if it's just for one season, you know what I mean? Like take, take the fall off from wrestling and, and, or, uh, or take the summer off from wrestling and, and then gear up in the fall or something, you know, but, um, I don't know. I just, I think that that is, that's probably the main reason you're seeing more. Um, and maybe honestly, maybe that's the reason you're seeing guys throw harder too, is that, that they're doing it more often. And so they, they're able to develop those muscles even more, um, I know there could be a lot of reasons there. I mean, t- again, Tim, you talked about training techniques like weighted balls and things like that. But again, the you know the ligaments aren't you know designed to to take that. You know, so um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, geez, guys, we're at we're at over an hour and a half now. This is a this is a hell of a show. I I think we're doing well. Um, <laughs> I know that's what I always say like I, I could talk about this stuff all day it's, it's will, will people listen the whole time but you know I, I think this has been good stuff um we can uh we can wrap up with a little lightning round on football here um so you know we'll talk so Eagles Bucks coming up I I, I already kind of touched on it I think the Eagles um 
I'm not worried about the Eagles offense based on the first two weeks for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Uh, that being said, Baker Mayfield has a connection with, uh, with Evans and he's, when, when he's on and his quarterback is finding him, he's kind of unstoppable. It doesn't matter how good Darius Slay is because Mike Evans is six inches taller than Darius Slay. Um, I don't know. I could see the I could see the Bucks uh, surprising the Eagles this week. Yeah, I mean, if the Eagles were to lose, I, it's still a little disappointing. But it's like you said, this is a, definitely a trap game for the Eagles and. I think this is the week where if the offense isn't clicking, I am very worried about the Eagles because we're going into week four. Um, well, yeah. Or, or you mean after this week four, yeah. Yeah, after this after this week, we're going to – I don't know how much longer you get to settle into the offense or have things click. Hurts put up almost an MVP season last year. And I understand the coordinators are different, but the players are pretty much the same. The weapons are the same. Brown, Goddard. Monte, and I know like Boston Scott's the one that's mostly involved in the passing game, so the, the targets are pretty much the same. They need to get on the same page. Um, that being said, the Bucks are no joke. Baker Mayfield and, like you said, Mike Evans have been – the chemistry has been insane, but I'm really excited to watch Slay go against Evans. I thought he's done a great job so far this year, especially on Jefferson. Jefferson had a big game, but I felt like the Eagles' defense was kind of like giving to that. Slay was playing off of him off the line, at least, and they were letting up the short game, taking away the deep stuff, and I'm really excited for that matchup. I don't know if Bradbury's back or not, but I think the Eagles' defense will be just fine, and it's really going to be about whether our offense can perform to its capabilities. The, uh, I don't know, what do you think? Let's see here, we got, so Tim, you're, you're a Jets fan, but you, so you're, you're uh, I mean, are you, are you a, a Giants fan? Do you pull for the Giants, too, coming from New York? Uh... I mean, I would say I pull from them. I, I, I definitely watch the games. I, I, you know, I watch most uh, NFL games. But, yeah, I'm a massive Jets fan. The, uh, the, the Jets game was frustrating last week against the Cowboys. Um, we, we talked about the roughing the passer that, you know, definitely changed the, the tone of the game. It would have been like the Cowboys are driving down. They're deep in Jets territory. Third down, they make the play. Then the roughing the passer that the NFL admitted shouldn't have been roughing the passer because John Franklin Myers, you know, hit him in the legs, even though he's being dragged down by an offensive line. The whole thing was stupid. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that, that gives the Cowboys a first down. They end up scoring a touchdown. It makes it 17-7 instead of 13-7 before the half. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that the Jets are in huge trouble. Now, they got another big game against the Patriots. The Patriots are desperate. They're 0-2. I could see the Jets falling to one and two and everybody's starting to freak out. But I like this defense is so good. I really like Sauce Gardner. He said after the game and see, this, talk about talk about like uh, maybe not calling out your coaches. But he said so that like right now, the corners don't go with receivers. They 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 play one side of the field or the other. I, I think I think Sauce Gardner's the field corner and and um, uh, what the, what's that? DJ Rita. Yeah, sorry, Reed's the other qu- – thank you. Yeah, I knew it was DJ something. And, uh, I, and I think he plays more the boundary corner. So right now – so Sauce Garner just said after the game, and I, I, I like the way he said it. He did it in a way that didn't really call out the coaches. He just said, I'd like to go with the team's best receiver because C.D. Lamb had a big game. And it, I didn't think he was calling out his teammates. It didn't really – you know, he just he, – he, he worked it the right way, I think. And, and maybe that's not even something you have to say publicly at all, but – 
it made me like Sauce Gardner that he's like, no, I want the team's best receiver every week, you know? So um, I like him. Obviously, you know, Quinnen Williams, the, the, this defense, if, if Zach Wilson, if you don't ask Zach Wilson to do too much, and if they can get, you know, if they can get Dalvin Cook and Brees Hall, and other, if they can get enough of a running game going, that they can basically put him in that game manager role that Brock Purdy's in in New York, you can, you can kind of follow that model. Now, unfortunately, they don't have, I don't think they have the offensive mind in Nathaniel Hackett that the 49ers do, but um, I don't know if you can, if you can let Zach Wilson just be a game manager and not have to win you games, but also not lose you games, the jets can be a playoff team. And I don't think their season's over just because they lost Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, no, I definitely think with, uh, with Zach too. I mean, obviously come, come later time in the game against the Cowboys, he, he started to look like good old, good old Zach. Everyone knows, but I thought when the jets gave him time in the pocket, uh, you know, he had that like a uh, little pass, uh, Garrett Wilson, he didn't look bad. He was he was making the pass he has to make. I think with Zach, the biggest thing is you don't uh, keeping him from losing you games, right? Not not necessarily him winning you games, but he has to do enough where he's not costing the team the game because the team is so good on every other side of the ball. Defense is outstanding. They might have one of the best fronts in the NFL. Secondary's gross with DJ and Sauce. Uh, Jordan White had three picks against Josh Allen, and then. You go, it's even special teams, man. Xavier Gibson returning that punt, taking it to the house, uh, you know, walking off on opening day. I think there's just such a such a really good team, and the only piece that's questionable is Zach. Yeah, that, that punt return, by the way, that was a fun play. And everybody that wanted the uh, the trip called, like, dude, what, like, what are you rooting for? Shut up. Like, that, I thought that was so stupid. But, um, yeah. but that was a fun – that was a fun way to end the game. It's like it, – it, and then, like, the officials – I've said this before on our show, too, but, like – the officials will hardly ever say anything negative about another official. Those, you know, those officiating experts that they bring on, they drive me freaking nuts. But then the one time you speak up, it's like, like you want a fun play that didn't actually affect the touchdown. Like the guy was already, he was already airborne. He was already going down. Yes. It was a trip by the letter of the law, but who gives a shit? Like he wasn't going to make the tackle. So like if you're, if you usually keep, they usually clam up when, when they don't, when they disagree with a call, you can tell when they disagree with a call. But this time, you know, like the second it happens, you're like, oh, this should have been a trip. It's like, really? That's the one you speak up on? Not the bullshit roughing the passer? Not the bullshit illegal formation penalty, pass interference? Like all these things that you could actually speak up on, but usually they just, you know, tow the company line, basically. It drives me nuts. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, the punt return was a fun play, and uh, and and that, that it just kind of made me believe in the Jets. They, they, they survived that entire game without Aaron Rodgers against a Bills team that's supposed to be a contender. So I loved it. Um, and, I don't know. yeah, so that, that being said, um, I, I, I'm just saying I, I think the Jets, you know, they could, they could easily go 9-8, and 10-7, and seven and still be a playoff team this year. I really think that that's, I think that's a possibility. Um, nope. Yeah, the strength of the schedule, man, they have – they play a lot of hard games. They play the Eagles. You play the Chiefs. You play the Patriots twice, Miami twice. You play the Bills again in Orchard Park. I mean – they have a really hard stretch of things, and I, I like the only piece like I, like I said before is you got Zach. Zach has to step up and do what he has to do to help that team win games. Even you know, yeah, even with uh, with Rodgers for the all of four plays, you saw right right off the bat the offensive line is going to be an issue, and that's that might be really where the different you know if they want to run that model like the excuse me uh, like the Forty ers 
they don't have the offensive line that the 49ers do. So they're going to have to get creative to create that running game and, and probably a little bit of short passing game, but they, they do have talent around him and they do have, they, they have a good interior line. They just, they got some issues at tackle. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the hell they were doing <laughs> with Rogers anyway with that, but honestly, Rogers should have gotten rid of the ball too. Um, on the play that he got hurt. Um, there was a, you know, there was a guy open right in front of him. You know, we can second guess guys like that all day, but, um, you know, it looked like it was open and, and when you have a offensive lineman cutting, it's usually to get the, the lineman's hands down because the ball is coming out quick. You don't usually cut, you know, um, you don't cut at the line expecting a seven step drop on a deep ball. You know what I mean? So it was like, it seemed like the ball needed to be out. That play with, uh, Aaron Rodgers too. I heard, uh, Dwayne Brown went to throw a chop block I saw on the left side, and then, uh, you know, Rogers tried to, uh, twisting out of a tackle, and that's when, the, that's when the pop of the Achilles happened. But I saw something with that play, too, that Rogers said before. He, he hates running those plays. Like the little, like the, uh, like the screen or dump off. Like he said he, he hates those kind of plays. Yeah, well, well I, think he, I think the comment was about the lineman cutting at the line. Um and yeah, and they ran it more than once. Like they ran it twice in the four plays that he was in. And it, it, it's, it is kind of interesting. I don't know what the deal is there. And I, and I don't know if Nathaniel, how Nathaniel Hackett's going to do, you know, now that he doesn't have Rodgers. Like Rodgers loved him, right? And, and wanted him to be his, uh, that's, that was a big part of why he came to New York. And now you kind of wonder were, were the problems in Denver, were they, were they a Nathaniel Hackett problem or a Russell Wilson problem? Maybe both. Cause I'm not, I'm definitely not a Russell Wilson fan at this point of his career. Um, but I, I don't know. So like, I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to scheme things up the way the 49ers have, but they, if, if they can, you know, like we said, if they can keep things off of, uh, off of Wilson's shoulders and not have to have him win you games, then yeah, this could this could still be a playoff team. But you're right, strength of schedule is obviously going to be a factor too. Um, I don't know, guys. Uh, you want you guys want to wrap things up the way that we uh you know the, the show always wraps up. I don't even know if you guys are familiar, but we like to take a look at uh you know this day in history, and uh, and also uh, every day is a holiday. So you know, like you got you know you guys are young. You know, but you gotta you gotta you gotta enjoy every day. You know, and there's not a lot of holidays in September. We got some holidays coming up, I guess. But um, educate us, Tori. Educate us. Yeah, right. So, well, I mean, first of all, today's the first day of fall, so I'm sure you know all the you know there's plenty of uh, you know white girl festivities going on around with the the you know the pumpkin spice and uh, I mean I'm an I'm an apple person myself, but I mean like I don't know you got you guys uh, does it feel like the first day of fall down there? Not gonna lie here, yeah, a little bit. It's a little cold, a little rainy, but I don't know. I feel like here, like every day, kind of feels like the same. Like, I don't know. (laughs) As someone who can appreciate the fall being from New Hampshire, it it definitely feels like a fall day today. There's a nice brisk wind. It's a little foggy out. It's like drizzling a little bit. It feels like I'm supposed to have a walk through football practice in an hour or something. I know, and 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 just on the first day of fall, so only I don't know, man. The weather, the weather feel like it's just getting crazier and crazier. There's the, uh, you guys ever see that movie, the the day after tomorrow? It's a terrible movie, but it's hilarious. So it's because it's just so bad. It, I, I uh, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. I love I love movies that take themselves seriously, but they're really bad. So that's that's one of my favorites actually. Um, well, yeah. So first day of fall. What else we got here? 
Restless legs, restless legs awareness day. You guys ever get that restless legs uh, syndrome when you're trying to sleep? No, but I have restless leg syndrome constantly. So you're, you're just... talking about this before the podcast, and we both might. I mean, we don't. We've never been diagnosed with it, but the way we move and think, we might have ADHD. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no, dude. I definitely have ADHD, but that's the thing. It's like, it's uh it's kind of a superpower too, you know? So if you, if you use it the right way, national punctuation day, that's a good one. I mean, you guys, you guys, um, in your text messages, do you guys use punctuation in your text message? Cause it almost like feels, does, do, if you see punctuation, when you receive a text message, do you feel like that's actually passive aggressive? No, I don't know. Like for, for me personally, like when it comes to like uh, writing or like texting, like, I'm terrible. I'll use like uh, I always use slang all the time. I, I never punctuate anything unless it's like I'm talking to someone that's like an adult or you know. But yeah, I, I'm really bad at my punctuation. I misspell all the time. Well, Tim, you're an adult, so so what, so what 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 do you classify as an adult? Like an old fuck like me? Is that what you're saying? No, I just like someone that's older than me. Like, like <laughs> you know, like if I was texting my coach or my like my parents or like grandparents, something like that. But yeah, you probably think I'm illiterate the way I, the way I text. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because people think I'm judging them because they're like, "Oh, well, you're like an editor. You're a writer and you're editor of a paper, so you're probably you know you're probably judging me because of my texting." It's like, there might be a few things that I'll make fun of people for, but for the most part, if you're just texting me, I don't really give a shit. You know, if you don't if you don't know the right there, like there, there, and there, like those are the kinds of things I'll make fun of you for, I guess. But um, f- f- but for the most part, no, I don't I don't judge people's texting. Um, I know, National Comic Book Day is a, so sorry. Punctuation Day is tomorrow, not today. What about National Comic Book Day is uh, is on Monday? And yeah, we'll be yeah. You know, we're just gonna go up to Monday. You guys, uh, you guys into comic books? Were you into comic books when you were younger? Corey, that was we had PlayStation and Wii and Game Boy, and they were making the movies about the comic books. We we had it too good. We didn't have to look at the. You know, you bring up a good point. I mean, like, and I'll be honest, like, I don't, I don't really read. I should, you know, being in the field that I'm in, but I, I just have to read so much for work. I don't read for fun. I guess I read a lot of sports stories. I don't know. Um, yeah, you bring up, I don't know, favorite Marvel, you know, along that line, then what's your favorite Marvel movie? Not Marvel, but my favorite superhero, I would say, like, out of all the movies is Deadpool. Yeah, yeah, Deadpool for me, too. Yeah. But if we did go Marvel, I thought um, Infinity War was better than Endgame. That was my favorite. Wait, isn't Deadpool Marvel? He might be. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Deadpool's Marvel, yeah. Edit that, Tori. Nope, nope. It's staying in. Oh, no. We we go uncut, baby. All right. Uh, national one. Okay, so Monday is also National One-Hit Wonder. Any, any favorite one-hit wonders, uh, you know, could be, I guess it could be sports, but you know, usually that's in in a context of music. I think there's definitely a couple of one hit wonders out there. I mean, you guys probably love like uh, Olivia Rodrigo or something, right? I was thinking uh, <laughs> Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba was. Uh, see, now here's here's where the age gap comes in. I'm trying to think of another one. Like, I, don't, I think there's a bunch of them out there. Like, like especially like in the rap world, especially. I think there's a ton of guys who. You know, I might throw out one good song, and it's like, damn, like, they just fall off. Like, I know Fetty, I feel like Fetty Wap is kind of like the same thing. He made a couple good songs, and that was, like, that was it from. Well, I mean, like, you know, you can even take it back. Uh, I mean, the Macarena, 
Chumbawamba. You guys, I mean, you guys hear that shit, uh, you know, warming up for games, I'm sure, right? You know what I'm talking about. Those are one-hit wonders. You know, here's a funny one. You guys have heard of Nikita Khrushchev, right? Uh, he was the leader of the Soviet Union in the 50s, early 60s. Yeah. So, so we, Mawson and I talked about this. It was a few days ago in history, but he was furious because he wasn't allowed to go to Disneyland because, like, the owner of Disneyland was, like, a, you know, a staunch capitalist. And uh, so he wouldn't let him go to Disneyland, and Khrushchev was super pissed. I think I'm going to write an article about it for Sandbox News, actually. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like he single-handedly lost the Cold War right there. Like, that's just, even though, obviously, a lot of important stuff happened after that. But I'm just, I'm going to chalk it up to that. All right. Well, I think we've done enough being well-rounded individuals. I mean, shit, you guys are at the library, so now you guys are, I'm sure you're going to go check out some books. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, guys. Thanks for being on the show. We, uh, you are officially the first guest of Sellout Sports. You've also, you're also part of officially the longest episode in Sellout Sports history. Might be the longest ever because I don't know if it, Mawson and I are ever going to go two hours. Um, but yeah, guys, we're, 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 hitting, we're about to hit the two-hour mark. Thank you for being here. Uh, and we'll have you guys on again real soon uh, with Mawson. Uh, he, he'll be like the go-between between the – the he shit man he 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 has more of a younger person perspective than you guys i feel like so i don't know i'm I'm excited to meet him all right yeah yeah we'll definitely exactly we'll do it in person sometimes we got this thing set up that we can have four mics so you guys can both come up and uh and visit and uh man you talk about loving uh fall i mean vermont is autumn central you know um but anyway, all right. Well, that's our show for this week. I have uh, officially raided Mawson's fr- refrigerator. Um, I probably would have gone into the closet, too, to steal some shirts, but he's not my size because I'm too fat. And uh, we will be back on Monday. It'll be me and Mawson uh, recapping, obviously, the huge, huge weekend in college football. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll have uh, some baseball perspective now that we've been educated a little bit. And uh, thank you to everybody that's listening. Thank you to Cat TV because I'm sure mo- at least half of our listeners know who Cat TV is. They give us this free podcast equipment. And uh, all right, that's it for our show. Thank you for being here, and it's only going to get better. All right.